0: The Apostle Paul is, uh, again, still writing. I mean, we're, we're, you know, to the Corinthians, trying to explain to them why he didn't come immediately to them like he had said he was going to and like he planned to and like he completely intended to. And, uh, um, and so he, uh, he explains to them what's going on. And there's a, some times in here where you look at the Scripture and you think, Paul, where are you going with this? You were talking about this and then you kind of switch gears. Uh, it all has a purpose and it's all leading them to uh, the greatness and the majesty of Christ and the fact that the Apostle Paul um, is a servant of Christ and that he's doing what he's commanded to by his master. Um, and so, 2 uh, Corinthians chapter 2, 12 through 17. And if you have your Bibles and you're able, uh, will you please rise as we read? Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved, and among those who are being perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the simplicity and yet the difficulty of your word. I thank you for the fact that, that when we look at it, we read it, we study it, when we um, open our hearts to your spirit, you teach us from your word. Father, I pray today that that will be true of each of us in this congregation. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you may be seated. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. Well, you look at this text and one of the things you see was that um, uh, Paul, it seems, had a dual reason for going to Troas. Okay? It says, when I went there to preach the gospel, but it's very likely that part of his reason for going there was to meet Titus, to meet Titus and to find out what was the response from the Corinthians uh, from the Christians at Corinth to his difficult letter, to his harsh letter? How had they responded? And when he got there, guess what? Titus wasn't there. It's very possible that Titus um, had missed the last boat, okay? And that Titus couldn't get there from crossing the Aegean, all right? And because, and like, you like got, um, as you would see it, you got Corinth down here. Here's the Aegean, and here's Troas up here. Okay, and so he would just have to sail across there or he'd have to do this, come from Corinth or or Corinth and then go that distance. And so um, he had possibly missed the boat and he couldn't get on the last boat. And if he got on another, well, they weren't sailing because the weather would be too bad during that season. And so um, Paul went to Troas, hoping to meet him there. And while he was there, uh, a great door was open to preach the gospel. Now, um, the apostle Paul had on his mind um, at that point, the Christians in Corinth, because they were being led astray. He was concerned about them. He was worried about them. They were in grave danger of falling away from the faith. They were in grave danger of following somebody else who was preaching a false gospel, a gospel that is, in fact, not a gospel at all. Because if you teach something about God and about Christ that says that, um, well, for example, uh, we are saved by Christ after everything that we can do, then that's a false gospel, because we're not saved by Christ after everything that we can do. We are saved by Christ. There's nothing else added to it before we are saved by Christ or after we are saved by Christ. Guess what? He has done everything that needs to be done for us to be saved. If he hadn't died on the cross, there's nothing we could do, nothing that would save us, nothing that would forgive us of our sins. It had to be him dying on the cross. So, our forgiveness comes through faith in Christ and the fact that he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And the Apostle Paul was concerned about the, the Christians in Corinth because they were hearing some other things. There were, I like this word that he uses down here in 17, but we are not as so many peddling the word of Christ. Okay? I mean, y- you think about when I see that word peddling, I think of the peddlers that you have in their uh, carts, right? And they've got all kinds of stuff that they're selling. And they've got potions and, and uh And medicine, and this will heal everything. But if it doesn't, I got another one over here that will. And I got another one over here that will. And after I get done with this, I can mix some more stuff up. Might just be spring water. And guess what? Add a little crazy flavor to it. And now I'll tell you, it's going to heal everything. They're peddling things so that they can make money. And Paul says, I'm not like that. We are not like that. We're not peddling the word of Christ. We're telling you the good news of Jesus Christ. So he says, a door was opened to me by the Lord to preach the gospel, to preach Christ's gospel in Troas. But while he was doing that, because he, um, he was concerned about the church in Corinth, but he was also concerned about more people coming to Christ. Now remember, this is the, um, uh, his third missionary journey. He had been to Troas before. He had preached the gospel in Troas before. But now a great door was open for him to continue. Maybe there wasn't a whole lot of success uh, the first time he was there. And he is now in Troas again. And a door was open to preach the gospel. Why? Because he wanted everybody that he could think of, everybody that even that he couldn't think of, everybody in the world to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so even though he was concerned about the Christians in Corinth since he was in Troas and the opportunity was given to him by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel, to lead people to Christ, he jumped on, pounced on that opportunity so he could preach the gospel. But he said, there was no rest in my spirit. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother. Well, you ever experience that? No rest in my spirit? Um, it, and usually when that happens, it's because of some difficulty when we have no rest in our spirit. You ever go to bed and your brain just keeps going? See, I don't do that because my brain stops like 20 minutes after I get up. It's done. It's finished. Um, you know that, uh, and so that doesn't, most of the time, I think it's probably happened to me once in the last six months that I've gone to bed and I, my brain wouldn't stop. Most of the time when I go to bed, I am so tired, so exhausted that guess what? I just go to sleep and Kathy's laying there going, didn't even tell me good night, you know, uh, but I can imagine this picture here that Paul had no rest in his spirit. And I can imagine that as he's trying to preach, as he's seeing, uh, those, people in Troas, one of them would remind him of somebody from Corinth, and he'd go, I wonder how they're doing, and another one would remind him of somebody else from Corinth, and he'd go, I wonder how they're doing, and his mind wasn't really on the people in Troas like it needed to be if he was going to preach the gospel there, he, his mind was on the people in Corinth, he'd go to bed and he couldn't sleep, would spend hours praying to God as he was falling asleep. He had no focus, he had no rest, he had no energy because he was so worried about the people in Corinth. I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find my Titus my brother. Now he's probably a little bit worried about Titus, probably didn't know why is Titus not here, you know? But he was concerned mostly because the word that Titus was going to bring him, he didn't have. The answer about what happened in Corinth, he didn't have that yet. And he wanted to know what was happening, not just with Titus, but also with the brothers and sisters in Corinth. So he says, I had no rest in my spirit. Most of the time, uh, when that happens, it's because there's some difficulty, some trouble, some problem. And, um, and, and if I ever can't sleep, it's because something happened that day that keeps my mind on that trouble. Most of the time, uh, and you know what happens when you have those troubles? I'm gonna tell you the answer to that, okay? D- did y'all hear what happened to me this week? I was supposed to have a race yesterday. I was supposed to, I loved it because it's a boring race. I mean, it's just flat and fast. It's a 6.6 kilometers. We would start at Funks Grove. You know where that is? Funks Grove pure maple syrup. It's not syrup, it's syrup, S-I-R-U-P. Funks Grove pure maple syrup, and we run 4.4 miles or 6.6 kilometers to McLean, Illinois. So I took off in the car. I had all my gear. I was ready to run. Felt pretty good. I got some good runs in uh, throughout the week. Um, and I thought, you know, I should, be able to, I should do okay. I may not win first, may not win second, but my time will be decent. And so I got about two miles away on Interstate 55, and, um, and my car stopped. Okay, so I want to tell you the truth. I didn't run out of gas. Because that would be a sin for me to run out of gas. My gas gauge said a quarter of a tank until it didn't. It said, I had 100 miles left in my tank until it didn't. It said, empty, zero, no more miles, and the car just quit. And so, long story short, I'm sitting there. I call the state police. They send somebody out. I call uh, somebody in the meantime to come help me out. He brings a a, a gas can after the state police officer leaves, um, and uh, he puts a few gallons in my tank and my tank goes up from a quarter tank to three eighths and i'm going great and it says 175 miles so i start the car up and go into mclean uh fill the tank up long story short i did have five gallons left but the car quit for some reason so here's the thing i could go to sleep last night and i could go what's wrong with my car what am i going to do how am i going to take care of this but you know what i decided yeah nothing i can do tonight monday i'm calling the mechanic And Paul, Paul, while he was in Troas, he didn't have any rest in his spirit. You know what he did? He stayed in Troas for six more months. No, he took off. He says this. He says, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother. But taking leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. And so, you know, there's a lot of things. No, I'm not going to ask that question. This is a rhetorical. Don't answer it. Anybody ever um, worry about things? See, here's the thing. There's a lot of things that people will possibly worry about, and sometimes I do that, okay? I won't set myself up as perfect, but most of the time, I don't let myself get wor- worked up and worry about things too much, okay? And so, because, here's why, because if there's something that I can do to fix it, I'll just do that, or set up the time to get the mechanic or whatever to take care of it. There's nothing I can do about it, guess what? Why should I worry about it if I can't do anything about it, right? Right? And if there's something I can do about it, why should I worry about it? Just get busy doing that thing I can do to take care of it. And that's what Paul did here. He had no rest in his spirit. But instead of just staying there and worrying all the time, he took off and he headed for Macedonia. Okay? And so when there's difficulties in our life, the best thing to do is, well, sometimes get busy fixing them. Get busy taking care of them. Solve that problem. Uh, And now there are some difficulties that we can't solve. For example... um, my brother with his eye. He can't just go solve that problem. He can't go to the doctor and say, fix it right now. He can't do it. He's got to wait. He's got to pray. He's got to be patient. He's got to let God take care of those things. So, but there are some things that we're responsible for to take care of ourselves and to not let them get us down. He says, I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus, my brother, but taking leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. Now, thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us. Well, let's just stop there. That's an interesting, interesting picture there because um, there's a, and he refers to it in uh, kind of in 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter four. Uh, and I'm going to try to go there as quickly as I can. 1 Corinthians chapter four. He kind of talks about that um, another time where he says, for I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last as men condemned to death. Well, the whole picture with all of this is the idea of a, um, it's a elaborate celebration. I want to just read to you some of these things because uh, it's really interesting how, um, how Paul takes this picture. When he talks about, um, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. We would think that, oh, we've always got the victory. Everything's good. We're always going to win, right? We're always, the, we're always triumphant in Christ if you read that that way but that's really not the picture he's trying to get, okay? Because this is a, cel- a, a picture of a celebration of victory of a conquering Roman general parading through the streets of Rome, okay? And so basically he's talking about leading the captives in a triumphal procession. So the, um, uh, the captives would be walking along. They would be um, guarded by the, the Ro- Roman soldiers. They would not be the ones that are in victory here, Okay, and Paul is, is um, according to some, is saying that he is one of those who has been conquered. He is not the one who is in victory. Now, there are some who believe that that's what he's saying, that he is walking alongside Christ in victory. I don't know exactly how we can um, take this, but if if it follows this one, then this idea that he is the conquered soldier, then... He's not represented as um, a victorious general or as a soldier in God's army. Uh, he is portraying himself as a conquered prisoner putting, being put on display. And that's where the 1 Corinthians chapter 4 when kind of takes us. Uh, he was previously God's enemy. He was defeated. And now he's being led uh, into to death in a display that reveals the majesty and power of God and effectively proclaims the gospel. See, it's interesting because um, they were saying to Paul... You can't possibly be a true apostle because of all the bad things that happened to you. And he's saying to them, uh, some say, he's saying to them, look, I want to show you something else that happened to me. I want to show you why what you're saying about me doesn't really matter and why it's not true because guess what? One time I um, I was an accuser of the Christian church. I was a blasphemer and I tried to do this and guess what? God was victorious over my mind and my heart, and I became a follower of Christ. I became a prisoner of Christ, and I do what he tells me to do. And he said, guess what? My strength is nothing. If I am weak, then he is strong. If I am weak, I am strong. And God is strong in me because I am weak. And so uh, he was saying, look, this picture of, um, of salvation uh, that we see here is me walking as a prisoner of Christ. Now, I don't know which one you want to believe there. Theologians don't agree. And so it's okay if you don't, right? Um, But I want you to know that we are not always victorious in everything as Christians. We are not always victorious. Not everything turns out the way we think it ought to. If it did, the Apostle Paul never would have been whipped. He never would have been shipwrecked. He never would have been bitten by snakes. He never would have had any of that because that's not victory, is it? And so... um, it, it, it's an interesting phrase. Now, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. Christ is the one who has triumphed. Um, and the, di- the, the crazy thing is, um, uh, it's not when the prisoners were walking and being paraded to, the, um, uh, to their execution, they were being pushed, if you will, because the, the Roman general would be behind them. He would be in his chariot, wearing purple and garlands and, and a, a wreath, and um, and he was a um, vengeful deity. And what we see here is uh, that this metaphor fits Paul's identification as a slave of Christ. Being captured makes a man a slave, and yet, and yet, Paul is not led in triumph by a vengeful deity. He instead has been captured by love, and so. Um, it's the love of Christ that causes him to be a slave of Christ. Um, And so, uh, however you want to look at that, whether you see um, us being um, in the parade, walking along Christ as a victorious general, uh, some see that, some believe that. Um, Or whether you want to see us walking ahead of Christ as a prisoner of Christ because he has captured us by his love. Uh, I don't know that it matters a whole lot. But I do see that they saw that picture. They understood, probably better than we do, because it was part of their society. They understood that picture better than we do. So he showed them that picture and he said, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. So there's two things that God does. God leads us in triumph in Christ and God uses them to diffuse the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. And I think this is pretty interesting. Um, it's, he's talking about himself. He's talking about his, uh, about Titus. He's talking about Timothy. He's talking about Silas. Paul says, God is, through us, diffusing the fragrance of his knowledge. Now, I love this because in <laughs> it's so cool. Um, verse 14 has the word fragrance. Verse 15 has the word fragrance in the... Um, New King James. Verse 16 has the word aroma, okay? And some of them actually use the same word. Some of your uh, versions will use aroma in every one of those verses. Um, And yet, it has different meanings. So we are, he leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Fragrance, in verse 14, is a word that, um, uh, see if I can find this, is the, is the word osme, osme, and it is a word that means a smell or an odor, okay, it is kind of a, what's that word, Um, it's a kind of neutral word, in other words, it can mean something that smells good, or it can mean something that doesn't smell good, okay, and so, to some, and he gets down further in this, and he says, um, for we are to God the fragrance of Christ, and I want you to know that's a different word, and we'll get to that in a little bit, among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. So this word in verse 14 and the word in verse 16 are the same word. It's a neutral word. It can mean something that smells good or something that smells bad. But the word that's used in verse 15 is the word fragrance. And sometimes that is, um, uh, that is, uh, is translated a sweet savor sweet smelling, a sweet smell. And we're going to see the difference of those in a minute. But first of all, um, this one is a, the fragrance is a smell that can be either good or it can be bad. And the reason it can be good or it can be bad is because there are some people who don't want to hear the gospel. There are some people who don't want to respond to the teachings of Christ. There are some people who say, ah, that Bible, that old thing, that's just written by men from a long time ago. and has nothing to do with me. And, and there's a couple reasons why they, why they, they say that and why they don't want to hear it and why to them it is an odor of death or why to them it's a something that smells bad. It's because they don't want to follow those teachings. It's because they want to live their life the way they want to live. You think about, about um, the Ten Commandments and then you think about the expansion of those Ten Commandments. Have any of you ever read through the book of Leviticus? I mean, and and Deuteronomy? And the second law and all those things, there are crazy lists of things in there. Do not do this. Do not do this. Do not do this. And some of them are so crazy that I'd be embarrassed to read them out loud to you, okay? Okay? But guess what? Our world nowadays is doing those things that it says not to do in the Old Testament. You think about the LGBTQ agenda. Guess what? Okay? Those are some of the things they said not to do then. And people are violating those laws and those that scripture and the teaching of God and the teaching of Christ by living that way and so to them the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Christ that you're saved by faith uh, by grace through faith in Christ, and that you would then then resist those kind of things instead of continue to live in them to them that's a smell of that's a bad smell you know um, I mean we can compare these kind of things to to uh you step out your door and you smell, somebody's grilling. They didn't invite me. Gosh, I guess I should have been a better friend to them. Or somebody's burning wet leaves. Why would they do that now? You think about the good smell of one and the negative smell of another, okay? So, um, but th- the message of Christ can have both smells. It can be both of those. It can, it's a neutral word here. It can mean a good smell or it can mean a bad smell. And to those who want to trust Christ, who have given their life to Christ, who are willing to, to repent of their sin, turn from their wicked and evil ways, um, then it's a good smell because it's an aroma to life, leading to life. And for those who don't want to do that and are unwilling to turn, unwilling to accept the gospel as good news, thinking that it's bad news because now we can't live the way we want to, those who are unwilling to accept the gospel of good news to them, it's an aroma of death or a stench of death, leading to death. It smells bad to them. And you can, you you know, uh, let's see, uh, I'm trying to think of a food. I'll think of one that I like, and many of you don't. Kimchi. I know. Well, you you smelled it, <clears throat> some of you, because I've had it for. What? Uh, it's a yeah. I love it, and I love. Ah, smells good. I'll walk into the kitchen or the fellowship hall or wherever that kimchi is, and I'm going, kimchi. And the rest of you might walk in there and go, kimchi. (laughs) Okay? So you can see that that some things that we know about, okay, some foods have a smell some people like, and some foods have a smell the same food that some people just don't like. And so we can see that it can be true of the gospel too. Now I want to get back to verse 15 because I love this. This is an amazing picture. Because this is the word here in 15, it's the, um, it's the sweet savor. This is not the word osme, this is the word euodia. Uh, it's spelled E-U-O-D-I-A and it is not, it is not a neutral word, okay? It is, it is a word that means a sweet smell, a fragrance a fragrant or sweet-smelling thing, an incense, something sweet-smelling. Um, it, it, it uses the word odor in here, but it doesn't mean in the definition, but it doesn't mean a bad one because it says an odor of acquiescence or satisfaction. I love that picture. And I started thinking, and, um, and I thought, where have I heard that idea? Where have I heard that idea? And then I read the rest of this definition, a sweet odor spoken of the smell of sacrifices and obligations agreeably to the ancient notion that God smells and is pleased with the odor of sacrifices. So I turn to Leviticus. Leviticus chapter 2 has, I don't know, five or six or seven of those, and it has this same um, meaning, um, uh, a sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And it's talking about the offerings that are that are made, the sacrifices that are given, those that are burned on the altar. And you know that sometimes something that you burn stinks, but sometimes something that you burn smells really, really good. And so when when they offered those um, Leviticus chapter two, uh, uh, when they offered those sacrifices, and the smell of those sacrifices went up to God in His nostrils, those that smell of that sacrifice, those sacrifices were a sweet-smelling savor to to, to God. And I want you to look at this picture here, because in verse 15, we are to God the fragrance of Christ, the sweet-smelling savor of Christ, the sweet-smelling aroma of Christ. See, that points me to Jesus Christ as that one final sacrifice. The final sacrifice, that even though there was no burning of Christ on the altar... His sacrifice was a sweet-smelling savor to Father, to, to God the Father. And he, it says here, we are, to God, the fragrance of Christ. Yes. And I love that picture. Because he is the only one who really has the fragrance. But to God, we are the fragrance of Christ. Why? Why? Because he died for us. He died for you. He died for me. And when we receive him as our Lord and Savior, when we accept the forgiveness that he has to offer through his sacrifice, we are seen by God as the fragrance of Christ. And the Apostle Paul says, we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. And so even though to God the Father that is a sweet smelling savor that is a great smell that is a smell that you smell you want to smell all of the time to those who are saved it's also that good smell and to those who are not saved it's a stench yes. it stinks And so you can get the idea here that or maybe understand why as you go out into the world and as you talk to people and as you share things and you tell them about about God, why they're just not going to want to hear you, why they might even not just not want to hear you. They may want to push you away. They may want to not be your friend anymore. They may want sometimes even to hurt you physically. You can see why the world is so against the gospel of Jesus Christ, because to them, it stinks, Amen. and if something stinks, we don't want it around. But to those who are being saved, it's a sweet smelling aroma, a sweet savor. I gotta gotta turn us to um, to John. John uh, three. John three fourteen. Yeah, we're going to go a little further than that, but that's the start. John three fourteen, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him, that is, who believes in the Son, should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You see, there are some who are not being saved. There are some who would rather live their life the way they choose, who would rather go about living in rebellion and in in enmity and, and as an enemy of God. And those are the ones who see the gospel as a terrible stench. I guess I guess we look at this and we see that first of all Christ is a sweet-smelling savor to God and because we have trusted Christ we are a sweet-smelling savor to God too but that sweet-smelling savor to God has different smells to different people Not everybody's going to receive your Christian love and Christian message But Paul's trying to say this is what we are this is how we live this is the picture of Of him as an apostle and of Titus and Silas and Timothy and the others. We are the sweet smelling savor, the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other, the aroma of life leading to life. And then he says, And who is sufficient for these things? Because what they were saying about Paul was, You're not good enough, you're not enough. If, and we've got to see that, that they, when they got that strong letter from Paul, they were not asking Paul to come to them in strength and in power with a stronger preaching uh, voice. And, and they were saying, You're not even, you shouldn't even be writing like this. You're not good enough. You're not sufficient. And he's saying to them, who is sufficient for these things? Is there anybody that is really, truly sufficient for this? Is there anybody that is really, truly sufficient to be the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing? The answer to that question is no. Not a one of us are. We are only sufficient for that. Why? Because Christ leads us. God always leads us in triumph in Christ. Because we are captured by Christ. Because we are captured by the love of Christ. The only reason we're sufficient for that is because of what Christ did for us and did and does in us. It's the only reason. On our own, we are not. And he says, we're not, as so many peddling the word of God. See, that's what would happen. They would come, and uh, people would come in, and they would go, I've heard this uh, story about Jesus, and I'm going to preach it and teach it, and I think I can tell it better than anybody that's ever told it before. And if they were good storytellers, good orators, if they could explain things so that people would understand them, even if they were wrong, guess what? People would put money in the cup, or teach them, or pay them, or give them a place to stay, give them some food, and that kind of thing. They'd move on and make money from the next town. He says, we're not peddling the gospel. We're not peddling the word of God. We are preaching sincerely. We are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity. Sincerity. And that doesn't just mean we really meant it. That's not what that sincerity means. What that means is not only did we really mean it, it's really true. It's actually the truth, the word of God that we're preaching. As of sincerity, as of from God. Look, we didn't choose to do this. We are not the ones that, uh, Paul says, I didn't call myself to preach the gospel. God called me. I, I come here preaching the word as of sincerity because God called me. And because it's from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. Because he called me. Because he called us. We come. We travel. We put up with all kinds of hardships and all kinds of difficult people because of the fact that Christ died for us and that he called us to preach the word. Not for, not for financial gain, but because of the fact that we are captured in Christ because of his love. You know, there's a lot of things that we could look at on here, and I guess we could start with the first one. Um, you know, what do we do when we have no rest in our spirit? You know? Um, a lot of times the answer is just get up and take care of it. A lot of the times is write it down so you can remember to take care of it tomorrow morning. A lot of the times it just make that phone call, take care of that because you have no rest in your spirit. And and the other one is, what about us? How do we see ourselves? Do we see ourselves as, as marching along victorious? Or do we see ourselves marching along because Christ is the one that's victorious? Do we see ourselves as a fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved? Are there some that we've shared with and we've talked with that have... Um, have agreed with the scripture and the gospel that we've shared and some that have backed us off? Or are we just not having any kind of aroma among those being saved and those not being saved at all? And I guess what I'm saying with that is, are we silent about our Christian life? Are we not willing to talk to people about Jesus Christ? Are we not willing in any way to share the good news that Jesus died for them? So we're going to have a a time of decision, a hymn of invitation. And to me, the most important thing here is that we come to the point where we recognize that Jesus Christ died for us. And he died for the sins of the world, too. And many of them at this point are not looking at Christ and the gospel as a sweet-smelling savor. They're looking at it and understanding it as a stench. And it might be us, might be you, that is the one that can change the way they see things by the way not only that we speak, but simply by the way that we live. might be that, that Christ is not your Lord and Savior, that you need to repent of your sin and and confess Christ as Lord. might just be that there's something else that you need, that there's somebody that you know out there that needs to hear the gospel and you're the one to do it. And you need to commit to sharing the truth of the love of Jesus Christ with them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the picture, the picture of, uh, th- that Paul gives of himself um, being led in triumph in Christ. The picture of uh, the fragrance, uh, us being the fragrance of God in Christ to those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Father, help us to do everything that we can, everything that we can, preaching the gospel truthfully and correctly, but everything that we can to lead them to you. In Jesus' name we pray.